0: Hello and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Iscaros. You will never measure up. You're stupid. You're just not good enough. You will never be good enough. Does that shameful string of sentences sound familiar to you? Have you heard that before, And maybe you're like me and you talk exactly like that to yourself all too often. There's truly nothing like the shame that comes from feeling crushingly and completely inadequate. The pain of feeling like you're just never going to be good enough. On our last self-hate episode a couple weeks ago, I talked about the self-hate that can come from sin, you know, the sin that we repeat over and over again, sin in the life of a believer that can lead to feelings of condemnation instead of a sense of conviction, which is far more constructive. And this time I want to tackle something altogether different. I want to talk about the crushing hurt and even this downright self hate that can come when we don't meet our own expectations or when life doesn't measure up to our expectations, when we feel inadequate, when we fall prey to comparison, perfectionism, whatever you want to call it, all of the self destruction that comes when we just don't feel good enough. So I know I'm probably talking to all of us in some way today. There are so many things I want to say on this subject, but a few disclaimers before I begin. I know that the issue of self-hate is incredibly Complex, especially self hate surrounding this question of inadequacy. Root causes and solutions are far more complex than I can possibly cover in a 30 minute podcast or even two 30 minute podcasts. And really, a sense of self hate doesn't ever have to come from a parent berating us or a coach or a friend or anyone ever accusing us of not being good enough or comparing us to someone else, you know, a parent comparing us to a sibling, for example, that never even had to have happened to us ever in our life. We can grow up with such loving, supportive parents and still feel crushed all the time. So really what I'm talking about today doesn't have to be something that someone has done to us, though it can be sourced from something that someone has done or said to us. This can really come from somewhere deep within. Shame was part of the fall. As my good friend Lucy reminded me this week, shame comes from the fall. It can come from deep within us, from our fallen sin nature, and it really can come from us not living up to our own standards for ourselves, standards that are simply impossible, standards that we can't meet, that no one can meet. And a moment of brutal honesty that comes with every episode. I give you these free of charge, by the way, okay? All of these moments of brutal honesty. This is going to be perhaps my hands-down most personal episode ever recorded and different than the last one, less emotional and far more difficult because this isn't just me in the past. This is me very often right now here today. I used to not feel I was good enough. Growing up, an A wasn't good enough. It had to be an A+. Being the top of the class academically wasn't enough. I had to do even better than the top if such a thing was possible. Even my second grade teacher had a parent-teacher conference with my mom and told her that I was a candidate for an ulcer in the second grade. Can you imagine? (laughs) What does a second grader have to worry about? I found something to worry about in the second grade. But that's the thing. It wasn't just me then. In a lot of ways, it's still a struggle I have right now. And that's why I am trying to teach you lessons that I am currently in the process of learning. So we're going to have an agreement at the outset, okay? I am never going to play the role of the hypocrite here. I am telling you, I struggle with this, but I do want to share some things that God has shown me on my journey with the self-hate that comes with perfectionism, with inadequacy, with never feeling good enough. And so here we go. First lesson is this, and maybe this is the simplest lesson I'm going to give you. I frequently try to play down my self-hate talk, okay? My railing against myself, I try to make it like it's not a big deal. I do it a lot. It drives my family crazy. Ask any member of my family how they feel about my self-deprecating talk, and they are right to hate it. See, the Bible is clear on this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's in Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Second Corinthians 4, 13 puts it this way. We also believe and therefore we speak. That means when I speak hate about myself, even if I'm just speaking it to myself, even if I'm not saying it to my family members, I am downright believing that stuff to be true about myself. So the problem isn't just the words I'm spewing, it's the matter of my heart. It's the false belief system, it's the disbelief in God, it's all the junk in my heart that's at issue. And here's another kicker that I came across in studying this. When I am hating myself, especially hating myself verbally, there's an important question I need to ask, and maybe one you might need to ask. Whose voice are you believing when you speak hatred to yourself about yourself? Whose voice are you believing? I want you to turn with me for a moment to Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12 verses 9 and 10. And I know some of you might be like, why are we going to Revelation of all books on a topic like self-hate? But go there anyway. Revelation 12 verses 9 and 10 says this. cast down. Did you hear that? Please catch that Satan and the devil here, being described in this passage, he is described as the accuser of the brethren, the brethren that is believers, that is you and me, followers of the Lord Jesus. He, the devil, is accusing us before God day and night. And I don't need to remind you what his role was in the book of Job standing before God, making accusations of Job. In fact, do you know that the title devil comes from the Greek word diabolus, which in its verb form means defaming or slandering. Defaming or slandering. So every time you speak hate to yourself, You are taking on the role of the defaming slanderer himself. When I speak hate towards myself, I am not just being influenced by the devil. I am almost downright playing his role in my life. And listen, don't be too shocked when I say something that strongly, because don't forget, Jesus didn't mince words when he turned around to Peter who had his eye on earthly things. And he said to Peter, get behind me, what get behind me, Satan. He was talking to Peter, but he was speaking to Satan who was trying to talk through Peter. But listen, I know all of that sounds uh, awful. Oh my gosh. I'm talking like Satan. This is terrible. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is not a very encouraging message on self hate so far here comes some good news. There's always some good news when Jesus is involved. Let me tell you what. If you are prone to slandering yourself, to accusing yourself like Satan did of Job, God speaks very clearly on this in Romans 8, verses 33 and 34. All of Romans 8 is incredible, but listen to this in Romans 8, 33 and 34. Listen. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Again, that is you and me, believer. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Do you see the parallels in the two passages between Romans 8 and Revelation 12? The whole point here is that because of Jesus, you don't have to slander yourself. Satan doesn't have to make accusation. You have one who is standing in between, standing up for you, even when the accuser is you. How about that for some good news? Jesus himself is making intercession for you and for me. That picture of Jesus interceding for me gets me every time. He is my literal and eternal defender. But listen, when you're saying things like, I will never be good enough, I will never measure up, I have a question to ask you. Whose measuring stick are you using exactly when you say words like, I will never measure up? What measure are you using? Or maybe I can ask it this way. To whom are you comparing yourself when you are saying, I will never measure up? Sometimes at the very heart of our self-hate is this issue of comparison, of us comparing ourselves to other people, and it is trouble, as we have said so many times on this podcast. When you are comparing yourself to other people, one of two things is bound to happen. One, you'll be lifted up with pride because you're certainly going to find that you're doing better than some people, right? So you're gonna be like, oh, look, I'm doing better than that one over there. And you know, pride comes before the fall, y'all. So be careful. Or two, you are going to end up condemning yourself because you're gonna compare your greatest weakness to somebody else's greatest strength. And the result is gonna be more crushing self-hatred inadequacy, sense of failure, misery. Either way, comparing yourself with other people is serious trouble. That's why Paul warns us so much about this problem of comparison. He says in 2 Corinthians 10-12, listen, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. See, it's not wise to do it. If you're in the habit of constantly comparing yourself to other people, how can I put this? Please knock it off. Please stop right now. I say it in the most godly, loving way possible. I say it to you. I say it to me. Stop it. stop comparing yourself to other people. But listen, sometimes the issue isn't so much that we compare ourselves to others. As I've said, it's more that we are comparing ourselves with ourselves. The issue really is that our standard is our own and it's an impossible standard. It's one that can never be met because we are hardcore perfectionists. Or perhaps God has used us to do something incredible once, and now we're saying, well, I need to try to achieve that height again, or this isn't going the way that thing did, and therefore I'm a failure, or that time I might have done it this way, and I'm not doing it like that like I used to, and therefore I'm a failure. And that's why this one particular passage of Scripture is so particularly instructive. And I hope you find it as meaningful as it was to me when God showed me to study it for this purpose. As you know, the prophet Elijah is a major player in several chapters in the book of First Kings. But in 1 Kings 18, we see Elijah have a remarkable victory over the wicked king Ahab and the prophets of Baal. See, he had laid an offering on the altar, okay? Elijah said, we're going to see which God is the real God. Is it the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that I worship? This is Elijah. Or is it going to be the God of Baal, Ashtoreth, the one that these false prophets are worshiping? So he basically has a showdown in first. Kings 18. He puts an offering on the altar. He wants to prove that if God is accepting this with fire, it is really only God and not some mistake. So he soaks the offering with water, not just once not twice, but three times to prove that what's about to happen is coming from God. And then the fire of the Lord falls and it burns up the entire sacrifice, including the water, so much so that the people are falling on their faces saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah, if you're familiar with the story, goes on to slaughter the prophets of Baal, or if you pronounce it, Baal. Anyway, he slaughters the prophets of Baal, and then the, in the same chapter, you see him have another victory, also maybe one that's less well-known, but he labors in prayer over this drought that the nation had been facing. And I say labors in prayer because he puts his head between his knees. Basically, the position of labor in that time and place, and maybe even now in many places and Uh, our day and age, but he's laboring in prayer, and the drought that covered his part of the world at the time is lifted as a result of his laboring in prayer. It's a chapter of great victory, and you're probably wondering, Carol, what does this have to do with self-hate and inadequacy? Just wait for it. You'd think after hearing all of this, Elijah would be walking in the joy of the Lord and this incredible victory for some time. But God in his infinite wisdom gives us 1 Kings chapter 19, in which King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, threatens Elijah's life for killing all of her prophets, these wicked prophets of Baal. And so what ends up happening? You think that Elijah turns around and stands up to Queen Jezebel, just like he stood up to all those false prophets? No. He hears the threat from Queen Jezebel and he runs for his life and he runs and he runs in sheer terror and frustration. And I want you to pay close attention to what Elijah himself prays in first Kings 19 verse four. And I'm reading you the second half of the verse first Kings 19 4, he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. First, can you sometimes relate to that level of despair when you've absolutely had it with this life? I know this isn't a message on depression, but we are seeing a textbook case of depression in the Bible. And if you think that the Bible doesn't cover things like this, I want to encourage you to read the Psalms and look at the life of David and hear Elijah. He is at a point of despair where he wishes he was dead. Thank God God does not answer his prayer here, okay? He does not say, yes, you are right, Elijah. Let me hear it and do it your way, Elijah. No. But maybe we can really relate to this depth of pain and hurt. But I want you to notice something. The second part of his prayer, he said, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. What's happening here? Elijah is comparing himself to his own forefathers. Instead of seeing the great work that God had done, Elijah decides that he is a failure, like many of his ancestors, the prophets of old, had been. And he's probably feeling like a failure because here he is struggling when he just had this tremendous victory in the chapter before. Can I get a witness, anyone who feels like, I used to be so good at this, why can't I do it anymore? Hello, the one that's teaching the podcast that has lupus that used to do 10,000 things in a day and still be going at 1 o'clock in the morning, who now can't push past 8 or 9 p.m. and feels like a failure and feels like she'll never measure up and is never good enough and is failing her family on the daily he is comparing himself to his ancestors, and as a result, he's compounding his depression. But mind you, God just used Elijah to rain fire from heaven. He used him to help end this drought. But I love how God deals with this struggling, comparing, broken Elijah. God is so good hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say on the podcast today, your God is a loving, tender, gentle, patient, merciful, faithful God. Not only does he not grant Elijah his request to die, but what does he do? He lets Elijah sleep for a little while, and then he offers him some hot bread and water through an angel. And then he almost like, you could just imagine the scene where the angel just is like, okay, go back to sleep. And he lets Elijah sleep some more, and then the angel gives him more hot food and water. The first thing that God does is he deals with his physical needs. He deals with Elijah's immediate needs for physical rest and food. He knows how tired Elijah is. Do not underestimate the critical importance of you having rest and a healthy diet and a good rhythm to your life. If you want to have some sort of balance in your thought patterns, in your ability to deal rationally with things, and we're going to talk about our thought life in another episode, let me tell you what, renewing the mind, taking thoughts captive, that stuff is coming, it is coming. But first, God deals with him so tenderly on the physical, and it's then and only then that God begins to speak to Elijah in this still, small voice. After he quiets his noise, then Elijah can hear from the Lord in that still, small voice. And it's then and only then that God then speaks his great purpose for the rest of Elijah's life. What is the point here? We are seeing God showing us exactly what we need in our moment of greatest need. He knew what Elijah needed. Elijah thought the solution to his problem first was to run and second was to die. And third, maybe compare himself to his ancestors as a reason why he should die. God knew what was best. And it was none of those things. God knows what's best. He knows the real solution. And listen, let me just say this. The real solution to self-hate is not self-love. I want to say that again. The real solution to self-hate is not self-love. And before you flood me with hate mail, please listen to what I'm saying. The solution to self-hate is the love that God has for us. God shows tremendous care and attention for Elijah. He shows him so much tenderness. See, when I'm hating myself, when I'm feeling like a failure, when I'm in the mirror railing at myself, I don't need to love myself more. That's not going to be the solution. It's momentary. If I look in the mirror and I say, you're wonderful. Today's your day. Go capture it. That might last until I hit traffic on Route 44 behind my house, and then I'm right back in my insane, I'm never going to get there, I'm never going to make it. What I need to remember on the daily is that I am loved. It's not loving myself, it's remembering that I am loved. Obviously, we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know this to be true. How about John fifteen nine? As the father loved me, Jesus said, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. That means be at home in, stay, remain in my love. Listen to me, all my fellow self-haters, listen to me. Have you ever truly come to fully understand the depths of God's love for you? It's not just some cliche that we wear on a bracelet, Jesus loves you, or on a t-shirt. It's not a cliche. See, let's think about it this way. What difference does it make that Jesus loves me as a person who very often hates herself? what difference does it actually make? Let me put it in humanistic terms for a moment, okay? When you are newly dating someone, let's say, someone you really, really like, and there's all this excitement and the newness, you know, and you're getting ready for your date, and girls, you have that pretty new outfit on, and when he sees you, he can't breathe for a second, and he tells you how gorgeous you are, and then on your date, he shows genuine interest in the things that you care about, and he's really... Um, paying attention to what you're studying in school and what's important to you about your faith. I mean, that kind of stuff. Or guys, when she tells you how handsome you are and that she loves Pokemon and NASCAR or other things that you love, like science or law or literature, and you find that she really means what she says... In that dating relationship, when you know that you are loved like that, doesn't it somehow make you see yourself just a little bit differently? When someone else looks at you like you are beautiful, don't you twirl in the mirror just a little bit or maybe brush your hair out of your face a little and go, maybe I'm not this disgusting wretch I thought my whole life. Why is that? Because being loved by someone else so often dispels the nonsense that we tend to say to ourselves when we're alone. See, God loving you makes every bit of difference, or at least it should, in how you see yourself. When you look at yourself in the mirror, understand that God sees you with that same love and affection far more than any human dating relationship ever could. I was literally broken over this just this past Sunday at church. I was thinking a lot about the self-hate issue and God's love for us and how that dispels self-hate. But like I said, I don't have any of this mastered. I am still dealing with this. And we started worshiping to the song Gyra. I know many of you know it. And I just found myself hysterically crying during this song. Why? Because listen to some of these lyrics, okay? I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved more than I could imagine. And that is enough. You guys hear that? And so much of this is taken right out of Isaiah 43. I love it when songs take their lyrics from scripture. Can I get a witness on that? The song continues. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watched over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? That kind of love should change how we see ourselves. It changes everything. Listen, you may say to me, all right, you always want to be honest with us. Let us be honest with you. Do you like how I do this role play thing here on Rinse and Repeat? It's kind of funny. But how about I'm imagining you saying something like this to me. Well, Carol, unfortunately, Elijah got an angel to minister to his physical needs, and he got to hear from God directly. It was a still small voice, but he got to hear from God directly. I don't have any of that, so my self-hate is pretty hard to beat down because I don't have all of that that Elijah had. Please, please, please hear me when I say the following. A public service announcement to all of us self-haters out there. God is every single day sending us exactly the same type of help that he sent to Elijah. God is every single day sending us the same help that he sent to Elijah. First, he is doing it through the local church. Believer, if you are not attending a healthy, local, Bible teaching church, find one. Don't walk, run to your local church. If you don't have one and you need help finding one, write to me. I will help you find one, but get into fellowship with a body of believers ASAP. That body of believers will rally around you when you're struggling with stuff like self-hate or a spiritual depression And they will come alongside you even when you need rest and when you need a hot meal and when you need a word of encouragement. That's what the body of Christ is designed to do, to be his literal hands and feet here on earth that's what the church is designed to do. You can't say, I don't get the kind of stuff that Elijah gets if you're not in fellowship with believers. The more people that know you and know where you are, the more you will be rallied around when you have these deep needs. And we talked last time about accountability. If you are accountable to people in your local church, they will know that you're struggling. Many times they will even be reaching out to you when you don't even tell them something's wrong. They'll text you and say, hey, God put you so much on my heart today. Are you okay? And you'll be looking at your phone going, what? This is what God does through the Holy Spirit in the body of believers. But the second thing, and I know I sound like a broken record with this, but please hear me. Being in his word is that voice, that still small voice, we so desperately need. See, truth is what dispels the lies that we believe and that we speak about ourselves. If we hate ourselves and are struggling with our inadequacies and not measuring up even to our own standards— His word, just the examples I just gave you about the accuser of the brethren or not comparing yourselves or Elijah, all of that's in God's word. Look how much rich truth is right there in His word, even right here on this podcast. If you're in His word daily, you will be amazed at how much it ministers to your soul and dispels some of that self hate. And this I can speak on with some authority. In my nearly 30 years since I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ God has used truth to dispel the lies I have believed about myself again and again and again it was truth in his word that told me not to stay with that guy my freshman year in college if you heard my testimony you know what I'm talking about it was truth that sp- spoke Colossians 3.2 to me my senior year when I was absolutely in the worst season of anxiety ever up to that point. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Again, it was truth that was dispelling lies. And it was truth that dispelled my lifelong belief that I was invisible and no one cared about me. That is what I'm trying to say to you again and again and again. You need the truth to dispel the lies that you believe about yourself, that you're speaking over yourself. Without the truth of God's word, you will fall victim to your own self-hate again and again and again. If you need to understand how to study your Bible, to have a real devotional life, write to me. I will help you. It's critical. But I want to close with this thought. Earlier I talked to you about how we tend to speak so much slander over ourselves, really playing the role of the evil one. And Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, he had some writings on spiritual depression and he suggests an entirely different type of talking to ourselves, which I thought was so instructive. He writes this, have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? He continues, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning, you have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. But in Psalm 42, instead of allowing this self to talk to him, the psalmist starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. How about that y'all? Listen to me. We would do well to speak the truth of God's word to ourselves as I said in the last episode. Speak truth in love to yourself. Proverbs 18:21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, so speak life to yourself. God loves you and bag the cliché. Get your nose in the Word of God and find all of the passages of Scripture that reaffirm that you are loved by the Most High God and let that love wash over you. Let it change how you see yourself. Let it change your expectations of yourself. Let God set the expectation. Let God set the standard. And you, you just be busy about speaking life instead of that destructive, hateful, painful self-hate. Thank you for joining me for this episode, the second part of our self-hate Lanyap edition here on Rinse and Repeat. I am Carol Iscaros. As always, I'd love to hear from you. And I just recently launched my Bible Devo on the Bible app, Uh, If you don't have the Bible app, you can certainly download it. And my first devotional is called Healing from Life's Disappointments. You can find it by that title or by searching my name on the Bible app under plans. And I would love to know if you are finding the podcast through the Bible app. That would be very, very helpful for me to know. I'd also really like to know how the podcast is affecting you, what you think of the Bible Devo, or anything else, really, especially if you need help finding a local church, if you need help jump-starting your devotional life, if you'd like to talk further about this issue of self-hate. You can reach me always through carolascaros at gmail.com. That's carolascaros at gmail.com. And please be sure to join me next time for the next installment of Rinse and Repeat.